Hebrews Bible Study, Part 16, Teleology of the New Priesthood, for lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 8. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. The eighth chapter of Hebrews is one which can be understood only by careful commentary, not verse by verse, but statement by statement. Because of this, we will have little time for fluff in this study today, spending the bulk of our time parsing through each thing the author is saying before attempting to tie everything together at the end. Verses 1 and 2. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. When he says, now the point in what we are saying is this, here the author intends to reiterate and enhance the message he gave in chapter 7. Having gone through the importance of Melchizedek and demonstrating the reasons for Christ's ordination to that priesthood, now it is time to discuss the meaning and implications for this new high priesthood, its teleology, so to speak. And his point is precisely this, that Christ the high priest has direct access to the Father and is stationed at his right hand. 
As he will discuss further, this makes him superior to earthly priests and his covenant superior to the old covenant. Verses 3 and 4. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. As the new high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. By this, presumably the author refers strictly to the atonement, at least as far as sacrifices go. However, one may make a case that our good works, done on account of belonging to Christ, are presented before our Heavenly Father as a free will offering. This would hearken to the peace offering of Leviticus chapter 7, which is offered unto the Lord as a matter of thanksgiving. In the new covenant, our lives and deeds are free will offerings or sacrifices of gratitude made to God, per Romans 12 verse 1. This means that our good works are pleasing to God, but not meritorious unto salvation. If they are free will offerings, then to say that they contribute to our salvation would be a category error akin to mixing up the Old Testament sacrifices. If we are not permitted to mistake a peace offering for a sin offering in Leviticus, then we are not to mistake our good works for the atonement already won for us on the cross. It is of utmost importance that Christ be at the right hand of the Father for this ministry. If his ministry was earthly, then two things would be certain. First, he would not be a priest at all. For if he had not died and risen again, ascending to heaven to enact his ministry, the Levitical priesthood would still be valid and in force. Second, even if he were a priest, perhaps if he were incarnated into the Aaronic line of priests, then his priestly duties would be in service to the law, not to a new covenant. Praise the Lord that this is not the case. Verse 5. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. This is a startling revelation but one which greatly assists the exegete. Here, the author of Hebrews says that the priests in Jerusalem are only serving copy and shadow of heavenly things. This means that there is an altar in the heavenly Jerusalem. There is a heavenly lampstand seen directly in Zechariah and Revelation, and so forth. Citing Exodus 25 verse 40, the author contends that Moses was not shown blueprints or drawings of the tabernacle furnishings, but actual objects in heaven to which the earthly copies coincide. This also means that Davidic Psalms referring to a temple before the Solomonic temple was built, we are speaking of a heavenly temple which precedes it. Now, this is the first time that the author brings up what we might call a platonic vision for heaven. Not that Plato's theory of ideals is necessarily proven correct in scripture, but the resemblance is striking. 
Heavenly objects have corresponding earthly objects, such as the lamps for the churches in the letters of Revelation and the temple. And in later chapters, the author will discuss the correspondence between heavenly and earthly places, Jerusalem in particular. As he gives more details on it later, this mention is a foreshadowing of the greater details placed in latter chapters. For now, suffice it to say that the existence of heavenly objects pertaining to Christ's high priesthood are mentioned to further demonstrate the legitimacy of his current ministry. No one could denigrate Christ's proclaimed priesthood by claiming he had no ephod, altar, etc., because these things truly do exist in the heavenly throne. Verses 6 and 7. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Not only is his position greater than that of a Levitical priest, being in much closer proximity to the Father and also being of a heavenly priesthood, Christ also predicates his ministry on the new covenant. For the author of Hebrews, a covenant establishes a priesthood, not the other way around. The old covenant at Sinai established the Levites. The new covenant established at Calvary brings forth Christ as the new high priest. This is done, of course, because the Old Covenant is incapable of achieving the aims that God wants to accomplish. Of course, before a priesthood is established by a covenant, a covenant has to be established by promises, i.e. the word of God given to men. The Old Covenant was given to Moses as a means of fulfilling certain promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The new covenant is given to all of humanity since the fall in Eden, Genesis 3, verse 15. Note that the promise given in Genesis 3:15 is not brought forth into a covenant until it is called the new covenant. Hence, the promise may be older than the certain land promises and the promise of many descendants given to Abraham. But we see in Scripture that the promises given to Abraham correspond with a covenant given much earlier than the new covenant which is predicated on the Proto-Evangelium. This is an example of God working in his timing, not ours. Verses 8 through 12. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. 
for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Citing Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 through 34 as an example of the better promises on which the new covenant is predicated, in which the Lord says that he will provide righteousness that comes from within, a renewed belonging to his people, for the remnant anyway, per Romans 11, mercy regarding their sins and the total forgiveness thereof. These things are the true aims of the God who wants his people to be truly his. The law could not accomplish this. Now we must be careful given that Jeremiah's prophecy might sound to some as though it is restricted to the children of Israel and Judah. This is not the case. The place of the Gentiles as replacing the broken branches of unbelieving Jews is discussed in Romans chapters 9 through 11, but it is not pertinent to the discussion that the author of Hebrews presents today. It is still there, though, but the remnant is saved and subject to this new covenant. But I digress. To be fair, it is not the fault of the law that it cannot produce the righteousness which God wants to see in his people. Jeremiah clearly states that the blame lays with the sinfulness of the children of Israel. They did not continue in my covenant. With the Ten Commandments, God reveals his ethics for all of man's life. With the Mosaic Covenant, which includes the Decalogue, applications are given in case law and Levitical ceremonial regulation. This means that while there was already a perfect standard of conduct given by the Lord in Exodus 20, the Mosaic Law expanded on the civic regulations and code of conduct which would make the Israelites truly holy before the Lord in their time. Yet because it is an expansion of commandments, it is also a greater opportunity to sin. The burden of the Ten Commandments, before the third use of the law is applied to us, is such that one man can never, ever, perfectly fulfill them, thus meriting death and damnation. So, the Old Covenant had to be replaced if anyone was to be saved. Verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Indeed, this is a complete and total abrogation of the Mosaic law. Humanity is no longer judged by their obedience to various commandments. They are judged now on the basis of whether they believed in Jesus and were baptized. Mark 16, verse 16. Those who reject faith in Christ are truly judged by the stipulations of the Old Covenant and will perish by and with it. Those who do hold to Christ rejoice in his mercy and grace given unto them, the free offer of salvation given to sinners. To provide a brief summary, the author of Hebrews is not merely shoring up the legitimacy of Christ's high priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. He is saying that it had to be this way if anyone was to be saved, if anyone was to escape the judgment of the law, and if anyone was to have a truly righteous heart, 
then a new covenant was necessary, and indeed a new covenant that was superior to the old, in order that people might be the true children of God. Next week, we will dive into further details as we begin studying Hebrews chapter 9. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.